Well, I invite you to take your copy of Scripture this morning and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And as you're turning there, I uh, just want to say that uh, how thankful and grateful uh, I and my family are uh, that you as a church have graciously and generously uh, granted us a sabbatical. And so uh, this is the last Sunday, actually, I'll be preaching uh, before the sabbatical, and I'll be um, away for uh, about, I think it's seven Sundays, and uh, really grateful for the time that I'll be away. And uh, the elders will be preaching through a series in Philippians, and so I encourage you to be here for that series. I know they'll do an excellent job uh, as they preach through Philippians, and just so grateful to have leaders uh, that can uh, I can trust as I uh, go on a sabbatical and know that uh, you will be well taken care of and uh, you will be taught well also, and so very grateful for that. also want to say just how grateful I am that uh, this being my last Sunday before I go on sabbatical, that it is a Sunday in which we can celebrate the overturn of Roe v. Wade. And uh, yes, you can clap. Praise God. Uh, I know uh, this last week I was actually, uh, I exercised at the Croc Center, and, uh, which is just down the road here, and uh, I was there when I first uh, found out the news. I got a text and uh, almost started crying in the Croc Center. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Uh, it's been 50 years that so many of us have prayed and worked and uh, asked the Lord to intervene, and, um, and it's just a tremendous blessing, a tremendous grace from the Lord. Uh, I know this does not end all abortion in the United States by any means, and there's still a lot more to be done, uh, but this seems to have been a monumental decision in the right direction, and we can be grateful for that and uh, praise the Lord. Well, this morning we're going to conclude uh, our series in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we're going to focus on verses 20 to 25, but uh, we're going to look some other verses as well in the chapter, and uh, I'm going to begin reading for us in verse 1. I'll read through the chapter as a whole, and then uh, we will consider the theme of remembering this morning. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord the God of your fathers has promised you and a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that He swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. 
It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by His name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and He destroy you from off the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested Him at Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and His testimonies and His statutes, which He has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you, and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers, by thrusting out all your enemies from before you, as the Lord has promised. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might, brought, that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers." And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, the fear of the Lord our God, for our good always, that He might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as He has commanded us. Amen. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your faithfulness, for Your kindness, for Your goodness to us. And Lord, we pray that we would be a people who remember and do not forget. And Lord, that we would be faithful to walk in Your ways. Lord, teach us now from Your Word. We turn to Your Word now, so Lord, that we will not forget. So Lord, will You impress it upon our minds and our hearts? Will You sear it upon our souls? So Lord, that we might remember You and we might love You we might obey you. And it's through Jesus Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Years ago I read an interesting book entitled Moonwalking with Einstein by Joshua Four. And uh, Four is a journalist who became intrigued with the USA Memory Championship. And uh, one of the contestants in the competition as he was covering this USA Memory Championship, one of the contestants in the competition claimed that even someone with an average intelligence could win the event if they committed themselves to learning the ancient techniques used by mental athletes. Well, Four decided, this journalist, he decided to accept the challenge, and he committed himself to a year to learning these mental memory techniques. And after training for a year, he entered the event and he actually made it all the way to the finals. Well, throughout the book, uh, Four reveals these memory techniques that you can use. And uh, one of the things he discovers as he is studying these memory techniques is that almost all the memory tricks that are used by mental athletes today are contained in an ancient Latin text entitled Rhetorica Ad Hieronium which was written somewhere between 82 and 86 B.C., so over 2,000 years ago. 
Some mental athletes today actually refer to this ancient Latin text as the memory Bible. You see, in ancient times, the development of one's memory was considered to be essential to a proper education. Well, my memory is not that great. It's actually one of the reasons why I decided to read the book. I thought it might help me. Um, And as I was reading the book, I learned that a number of the memory techniques that for discovers and puts into practice are very interesting. I also learned that it requires a good bit of time of work and practice in order to become proficient in these memory techniques. I have not been willing to put in the time or the work, and therefore my memory is still not that great. And in reality, in an age of pen and paper, in the age of the book, in the age of computers and smartphones, we can all get along fairly well with not having a stellar memory. In fact, our dependence upon these things to remember negatively impacts our mind's ability to retain and recall information. But as Christians, as disciples of Jesus Christ, there are certain things that we must remember. In fact, the Bible teaches us that the discipline The spiritual practice of remembering is critical to our health and growth as disciples of Jesus. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, we've already seen the importance of instruction in the believer's life. We've also considered the necessity of devotion in the life of the believer, to love and be devoted to God and to God alone. And this week, we will see that Moses teaches us the value of of remembering. We could say it this way. As Christians, spiritually speaking, we should aspire to be memory champions. In other words, to be faithful to remember God, to remember who He is, to remember His grace and His kindness, to remember the goodness of His commands, because remembering is critical to our spiritual growth and health as disciples of Jesus. I want us to look at this theme of remembering in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we'll consider it in two parts. First of all, we will consider remember God's kindness and don't forget. Remember God's kindness and don't forget. And we'll see this in verses 10 through 12. And then secondly, we will consider remember God's salvation and tell your children. Remember God's salvation and tell your children. And we'll see this in verses 20 to 25. So first of all, remember God's kindness and don't forget. Look there in verses 10 through 12. We read these words. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that He swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now just for a moment here, let's recall the historical context in which Deuteronomy was written. So the people of God, prior to uh, this time, the people of God had spent approximately 400 years in slavery in Egypt. And the Lord delivered them. But then they spent another 40 years or so in the wilderness, 
And in Deuteronomy, what's happening now is that the people of God, they've, go, they've been delivered from slavery, they've gone through the wilderness, and now they are on the cusp of entering into the promised land. And Moses, through a series of speeches or sermons, is preparing the people for their new life in Canaan. And one of the things we see in Deuteronomy as Moses is speaking to the people as he's preparing them for this new life in Canaan is that the Lord is not shy. He is not reluctant in declaring the goodness and the abundance and the riches that await his people in Canaan. In fact, in chapter 6 verse 9, so the verse just prior to the one we read, Canaan is described as a land flowing with milk and honey. In other words, Canaan is not the desert of Egypt, nor is it the barren wilderness. This land will be rich and it will be lush. We could say that the people of God are moving on up. This is going to be a great upgrade. And one of the things we see in our text here is that all this wealth that is to come to them, all this wealth in this new home will come to them by the grace of God. And how do we know that it will come to them by the grace of God? Because Moses tells us that this land is a promised gift. Notice this land is promised. You see there in chapter 6 verse 10. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And this is not the only place that Moses speaks of their forefathers and the land in this way in chapter 6. So notice in Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 3, Moses says, Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that is the commands, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Or in chapter 6 verse 18, Moses says, And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you, that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. Or in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 23, Moses says, And he brought us out from there, that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. Now, let me ask you a question, having read those verses. What did the people of God do in order to be the descendants of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob? They did absolutely nothing, right? There's many things in this life that we might be able to influence or affect, but we can do nothing to determine the identity of our parents or our great-grandparents, right? And what did the people of God do to cause God to promise this good land to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob? Men who lived centuries before they were ever born. Absolutely nothing. In other words, we know that the land came to them by grace because they did not earn the land. They inherited the land through a promise. Not only that, not only is the land promised to them, but the land is also a gift. Look there in verses 10 through 11. Moses says, And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that He swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, here it is, to give you, 
with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. You see it there in verse 10. Moses explicitly states the Lord is giving you this land. And not only is he giving them the land, he will give them the land with all the riches of the land. Cities, houses, cisterns, which means fresh water, vineyards and olive trees that they did not build, that they did not furnish, that they did not dig, that they did not plant themselves. You know, it's costly to acquire land, but as many of us know, it is often far more costly to develop that land. And churches actually often experience this. A church may save and wait for years to acquire a tract of land. And when they do so, that's a big step. That's significant, something to celebrate. But in many ways, acquiring the land is just the beginning. The real expense comes when you must clear the land and grade it for proper drainage and pave a parking lot and build buildings and furnish those buildings. It's one of the reasons why we're so blessed here at Crawford Avenue for not only the land that we possess, but also that the Lord has blessed us with these tremendous facilities that we can use for ministry. The Lord says here to His people, I will give you the land. And not only will I give you the land, I will give you the land fully developed with cities and houses and cisterns and vineyards and olive trees, all for your enjoyment. These riches and these comforts you did not create, nor did you purchase. But in my love, I will give them to you freely for your enjoyment. They acquired the land by grace. And we know that the land comes to them by grace because it was a promised gift. But notice this. Notice that the celebration of God's goodness and kindness in giving them the land is abruptly interrupted with a warning. You see it there in verses 10 through 12. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that He swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You see, here Moses is warning the people of the dangers of affluence, The dangers of wealth, the dangers of comfort, yes, the dangers of blessing, which can so easily lead to pride and self-sufficiency. And so Moses is concerned that they might be tempted to think once they enter into the land, perhaps we deserve this land. Perhaps we actually did acquire this land by our own ingenuity. Perhaps we don't need God as much as we thought we needed Him. We have everything we need right now. In fact, we are quite full. We can probably handle this on our own from here. 
It's a reminder to us that prosperity can often be a greater temptation than adversity. Prosperity can often be a greater temptation than adversity. You see, the Lord is dropping all these good gifts into their lap. Gifts that they did not earn, gifts that they did not deserve. But the real question now is, once they receive the gifts, will they remember the giver and will they be faithful to him? Moses knew how perilous and tragic it would be for the people if they forgot the Lord and His goodness. And so Moses warned them again and again. We find this warning here in Deuteronomy chapter 6, but if you just go a couple of chapters further into the book, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 11 through 14 and 17 through 20, we read these words. This is Deuteronomy 8, 11. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God. By not keeping His commandments and His rules and His statutes which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Verse 17, Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may confirm His covenant that He swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. So Moses warns them in chapter 6. He warns them in chapter 8. We just go a few chapters ahead into chapter 11. And Moses says in chapter 11, verse 14 to 16, The Lord will give the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil. And He will give grass in your fields for your livestock. And you shall eat and be full. Take care, lest your heart be deceived. And you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you. And He will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain. And the land will yield no fruit. And you will perish quickly off the good land that the Lord is giving you. So Moses warns them again and again in chapter 6 and chapter 8 and chapter 11. And despite these warnings, the Lord knows that the people ultimately will not remember him, and they will forsake his ways. And so further along in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 20, the Lord reveals, For when I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to give to their fathers, and they have eaten and are full and grown fat, they will turn to other gods and serve them, and despise me and break my covenant. In fact, the next chapter in Deuteronomy chapter 32, Moses concludes the book of Deuteronomy with a song. And in this song, Moses is recounting the history of the people of God. And one of the things he recounts in the song is the people's proclivity to forget God and to forsake His commandments. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 15 to 18, we read, But Jeshurun, that is a reference to the people of God, grew fat and kicked 
You grew fat, stout, and sleek. Then he forsook God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. They stirred him to jealousy with strange gods, with abominations that provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they had never known, to new gods that had come recently whom your fathers had never dreaded. You were unmindful of the rock that bore you, and you forgot the God who gave you birth. Do you see, my friends, how vital it is that we remember the Lord and His kindness and that we do not forget? Because if we do not forget and we remember the Lord and His goodness and His kindness, then we will love Him as we ought and we will walk in His ways. If we fail to remember and we forget the Lord and His goodness and His kindness, then we will not love Him as we ought and we will not walk in His ways. Have you ever done that? Have you ever become full and fat and satisfied? The Lord's blessed you and been kind to you and good to you in ways perhaps you never even imagined. And you begin to forget the Lord. You become less dependent upon Him. You look to Him less. You become careless in your obedience. And then you reap the bitter consequences. I imagine all of us have done that at some point in our lives. And so how is it? How is it that we can remember the Lord and His kindness and not forget His goodness? I think a key is found in chapter 6, verse 6. So look there in chapter 6, verse 6, and Moses says this, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And this theme then is carried out and repeated again and again through chapter 6 and through the rest of the book of Deuteronomy. You see, my friends, it will not work For us to simply resolve now, today, I will remember the Lord. Yes, in the days to come, I will not forget Him and I will remember Him. That's good. I hope you'll do that. We should resolve to remember the Lord today. But that's not sufficient. Because our memories and our hearts will fail us in the days to come. Instead, if we are to remember the Lord, we must resolve to consistently keep God's Word before us and God's Word in our hearts. This is the key to remembering and not forgetting. Have you ever thought through, like, you know you need to get some groceries, and you thought through what you need to get, and you think to yourself, I'm not going to write it down because I'll remember. That typically doesn't go well, does it? You go to the grocery store, maybe you have 10, 12, 15 things you need to get, and you're walking down the aisles and you get this thing and that thing, and then you're, well, did I, I thought I was supposed to get this thing, but okay, I've only got eight things, but there were 12 things. What's the other thing that I need to get, right? But if you write it down and you consult your list over and over and over again as you walk through the store, then you're much more likely to get the things that you need. And why? 
Because you keep the list before you, you consult it again and again. You go back to it again and again when your memory fails you. My friends, may we make it our practice to keep God's Word before us. To consult it again and again. To go back to it again and again when we are tempted to forget. May we make it our practice, our regular practice, to be in God's Word each day. And to meet with God's people as we gather together for worship on Sundays. So that when we have tasted the Lord's blessing and His goodness, and all of us have, we will not forget the Lord. But we will remember His kindness. We will rejoice in His goodness. And we will be faithful to walk in His ways. First, Moses tells us to remember God's kindness And don't forget. Secondly, remember God's salvation and tell your children. Remember God's salvation and tell your children. Look there in verses 20 through 25. We read, When your son asks you in the time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as He has commanded us. Now, in these verses, in verses 20 to 25, Moses actually returns to the theme of verses 6 through 9, the theme of family discipleship. So look back in verses 6 through 9. We read these words. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So this is the type of, this is the type of discipleship, teaching, instruction that should be taking place in the home of a believer. And then as we come to the end of the chapter, in verses 20 to 25, we see that Moses assumes that in a believing, God-fearing home, the children will naturally have questions about the family's faith and about the commands of God. So in verse 20, Moses says, when your son asks you in time to come, Moses assumes that this is going to take place. What is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? In other words, the children will begin to ask, why are these things important? Why are they significant? Why do we obey and do these things? And it's worth noting here that these questions are much more likely to arise in our homes if we are, in fact, walking with the Lord and obeying His commandments. One author has written, quote, the first thing to notice in these verses is that such questions and teaching opportunities will arise only if the parents themselves were conspicuously observing the laws. What was for Israel as a whole was true for each family. No observance, 
no questions. That's true in our own families, isn't it? No observance. If we're not walking with the Lord, if we're not obeying His commandments, we cannot expect our children to be asking us spiritual questions, right? But if there's observance, we can assume, as Moses does here, there will be questions. It reminds me of the disciples after they had spent some time with Jesus. They say to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. And why did they say that to Jesus? Why did they ask Him to teach them to pray? Because they had been with Him long enough. They had seen Him get up in the morning when it was still dark and go off by Himself to pray. And they had seen this happen so many times that they were inclined to ask, Lord, we want to know, what is it You're doing? And how are You doing it? Teach us to pray. Of course, our children are going to be much more likely to ask us about prayer if they observe us praying. If prayer is a regular practice in our homes. If you regularly attend church, it is much more likely that at some point your children will ask you, why are people getting baptized? Why can't I take the Lord's Supper? Why does our family go to church all the time and my friend's family doesn't? So parents... Model faithfulness to the Lord before your children. And then be ready. Be ready when they ask, why do we do that? How does that work? Do you do that because you see it in the Bible? Now Moses assumes that in a believing, God-fearing family that there will be these types of spiritual questions. But then notice Moses' instruction once these questions arise. Look there in verse 20. When your son asks you in the time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God has commanded you? Notice this, he says, verse 21, then you shall say to your son. Now notice what Moses does not say. Moses does not say, then you shall go to the priest and the priest will tell them. Neither does Moses say, then you shall come to me, and I will tell your son. No, Moses says, then you shall say to your son. Now, of course, there was a place for spiritual leaders in the life of Israel. There were, in fact, priests and Moses himself was a prophet. In the immediate context here, Moses is teaching the people of God, and that honors the Lord, and that's what the Lord desired. And we could imagine that surely the priests and the prophets in Moses' day would speak to the people and, and, and help the parents in discipling and teaching their children. Of course, in our own time, it's appropriate for spiritual leaders to assist and encourage parents in the discipleship of their children. One of the ways we attempt to do that here at Crawford Avenue is through our children's ministry that's led by Dottie's story. And I know so many of you faithfully volunteer and serve in our children's ministry. This is a wonderful way as a church that we can help come alongside parents and teach and train the children of our church. But of course, at the same time, it is apparent in Scripture that parents are responsible to be the primary disciplers of their children. And what we do here at church could never compare 
to the amount of time and the opportunity that you have as parents to invest in your children. In fact, this is a theme that we find in the book of Deuteronomy. We see it here several times in chapter 6. But Moses also speaks to this point in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9. He says, only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. So Moses says, not only should you be discipling your children, you should be discipling your grandchildren, if you have them, and your great-grandchildren. Speak to them about the Lord, about His kindness and His goodness, that they might remember and know who God is. Moses says the same thing in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 46 to 47. Take to heart all the words by which I am warning you today, that you may command them to your children, that they may be careful to do all the words of this law. For it is no empty word for you, but your very life. And by this word you shall live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. Do you want your children and your grandchildren to know life? Speak to them the words of God. And of course, not only is this a responsibility for us as parents, but it is also a tremendous opportunity. Listen to what Charles Haddon Spurgeon says on this point. He says, quote, Fathers and mothers are the most natural agents for God to use in the salvation of their children. I am sure that in my early youth no teaching ever had such an impression upon my mind as the instruction of my mother." Neither can I conceive that to any child there can be one who will have such influence over the young heart as the mother who has so tenderly cared for her offspring. He goes on to speak to parents, fathers and mothers. He says, Tell the gospel as you find it in the Bible, but set it in the frame of your own experience of its preciousness. Tell your son how you sinned and how the Lord had mercy upon you. Tell him how he met with you, how you, brought, how you were brought to see his face how you were born again, how you received a new heart and right spirit, he will think the more of this great change because it happened to his father or to his mother. End of quote. Have you ever told your children how the Lord saved you? Have you ever told them the story of how you became a Christian? If not, perhaps this week, you can tell them for the first time. And if you told them before, perhaps it's time to tell them again. Tell them the story of how the Lord saved you. Notice as Moses goes on here to say that we are to speak to our children as they ask us these spiritual questions. We are to speak to them the words of God. Notice specifically though what it is that Moses says we are to tell our children. It's found there in verses 21 to 25. And Moses essentially says, if I'm to summarize it, he says we are to tell our children that the story of God's redemption and salvation accounts for our determination to live lives of obedience. The story of God's redemption and salvation accounts for our determination to live lives of obedience. Look there in verse 21. 
Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. One author speaking of these verses says that these words constitute the Old Testament gospel in a nutshell. It's the story of God's redemption and salvation of Israel from Egyptian bondage and slavery. He redeemed them. He saved them. And notice that's what, that's what Moses is saying. You need to tell your children. He redeemed us. He saved us. And then verse 24, and that's the reason why we obey His commandments. That's the reason why we observe His statutes. That's the reason because we trust that His commandments are for our good because He redeemed us and He saved us and He loves us. Now understand that it might be a temptation for some of us to jump from verse 20 to verse 24. So if if we were to do that, this is what it would sound like. Our children come to us and they say, what's the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord has commanded us? And then we go to verse 24. The Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God. In other words, our children come to us and they ask, why do we obey God's commands? Why do we observe His statutes? And we say, we obey God because God told us to obey Him. And that's true. And we should say that to our children. More kindly, but we should say that to our children. But that's not the full story. Moses says, tell your children we obey the commandments because God redeemed us and He saved us by His mercy and by His grace. And so we love Him and we trust Him. That's why we obey Him. And that makes all the difference. In fact, this is the framework of the Ten Commandments. Now, the Ten Commandments are recorded for us in Exodus 20 and also in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And in both places, Moses does not begin the Ten Commandments by saying, Listen up, God says, You shall have no other gods before me. No. Rather, in both places, in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5, Moses begins the Ten Commandments by saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You see, he's declaring, the Lord is declaring in the Ten Commandments, I'm your Savior. I'm your Redeemer. I've delivered you. Therefore, you shall have no other gods before me. In other words, in the Ten Commandments, we see that it's God's redemption and grace that compels us to live lives of obedience. And this pattern, then, is repeated in the New Testament. We especially witness it in Paul's letters, where Paul will write a church, and he often begins his letters by rehearsing God's great redemption and salvation in Christ. And Paul will often use Exodus language to 
tell us of God's salvation and redemption. See, he'll say things like, we were enslaved to sin. We were in bondage to sin. But through the great and grievous wonder of the cross of Jesus Christ, Jesus suffered the penalty for our sin so that through faith in Him we might be redeemed, we might be saved, we might be delivered out of bondage and given new life and freedom in Christ. See, that's Exodus language. And then in the rest of the letter, so Paul does that in the first part of the letter, here's God's great redemption, His salvation. And then in the rest of the letter, Paul says, Therefore, as a redeemed people, live lives of joyful obedience to the God of your salvation. Moses is showing us here in Deuteronomy chapter 6 that this is how we are to disciple our children. Our goal is not just to raise do-gooders. Yes, we want them to have character and morals. We want them to obey. But we must always keep the gospel first. So that obedience is grounded in the grace of God and the salvation and mercy that is shown to us in Christ. So that our children know that they obey not because they are trying to earn salvation. They obey not because we are eager to feel superior to their friends and the families of their friends. No, they obey and we obey because we know that we are sinners saved by grace. And so we obey with love and in gratitude and with joy, trusting that all of God's commandments are for our good. Moses says, remember God's kindness, especially in seasons of prosperity and blessing. Remember that it is the Lord who has given you these things, so that you may not forget and you may walk in His ways. And remember God's great salvation and deliverance, which initially is revealed in the Exodus, but ultimately is demonstrated in the salvation that comes to us through Jesus Christ. And tell, tell your children of this great redemption and salvation. In C.S. Lewis's book, The Silver Chair, Aslan the lion is preparing Eustace and Jill for a mission. And Aslan shares four signs with Eustace and Jill that will help them and guide them as they make their way through Narnia. And they were to repeat these signs to themselves so often that they would not forget them. Listen to Aslan's charge. Quote, Remember, remember, remember the signs. Say them to yourself when you wake in the morning and when you lay down at night and when you wake in the middle of the night and whatever strange things may happen to you, let nothing turn your mind from following the signs. And the signs that you have learned here will not look at all like you expect them to look when you meet them there. That is why it is so important to know them by heart and pay no attention to appearances. Remember the signs. And believe the signs, 
nothing else matters, end of quote. God has given us, quote-unquote, signs in His Word. He has told us who He is. He has revealed to us His great salvation and redemption in Jesus Christ. He has shared with us His commands and His ways that will keep us and protect us and lead us into life and into blessing. And therefore, we must remember the signs and believe the signs. Nothing else matters. Let's pray. Father, we thank You and praise You for Your Word. God, You have been so good to us. You have blessed us in so many ways, Lord. So many blessings that we cannot tell them all. You have blessed us materially, financially. You have blessed us in our families, our work. You have blessed us in our health. So many ways. And your greatest blessing that you have granted to us is, of course, the salvation and redemption that you have granted to us in Christ. Lord, we confess that we are a people that are quick to forget. We think of Jesus healing the ten and only one come, came back to say thank you. We are so quick to forget. Lord, help us to be a people of Your Word that we might remember and not forget Your kindness and goodness so that we might walk in Your ways. And then, Lord, may we be faithful to tell it to our children. Lord, take Your Word now and apply it to our hearts. And we pray this through our great Savior and Redeemer, Jesus Christ.